0: We are in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And we will, I'm just going to read through the second half of that chapter, which is where we were studying last week and where we will pick up this week. So we'll pick up Ephesians 4, uh, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, to the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehoods, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. uh, as we pick back up and we got down through uh, just the first few verses of this last week and we'll be picking up then in verse 20, but you look at what we see there in uh, 17 through 19 and it talks about the Gentiles walking in the futility of their mind. That's going to be important as we go through the rest of uh, what we're going to study this morning, because we're going to talk about the renewal of the mind and how important that is. So, verse 20 through 24, it's kind of one long sentence, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in the way that the Gentiles learned. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in the reference To your former manner of life you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul reminds the Ephesians that they learned the truth of God in Christ and they heard and were taught in the ways of Jesus. And they need to complete the process of putting off the old man. Now, um, without putting off the old man, and there's a number of places in scriptures that talk about this, but without putting off the old man and setting aside the old and sinful practices, we cannot fully put on the new man. In verse 23... It says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What's it mean to be renewed? And if you have a, a comment, I'd ask that you raise your hand, and we'll get a microphone to you. What is this renewing of your mind?
1: It means to, like, be restored or to be, um, to, um, make anew. That's
0: what it Okay. Is. Um, of course, it's a, it's a word made up of two words, re and newing. So we're looping back around to make ourselves someone that is new, right? And in this case, we're talking about that renewal being a renewal first in our mind and then in our actions. It says that, uh, well, let's look, at, let's look at Romans 12, Give us a little more information here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have to empty our minds, even though we live in the world and we are constantly bombarded by things of the world. We have to empty those out so that our mind is renewed and then our service to God is renewed as well. We have to fully put on Christ and put away the things of this world, but it's a constant process, is it not? I mean, it's not a situation like, all right, I don't know if any of you were ever Boy Scouts. In the Boy Scouts, when you have completed something, you get a merit badge and you put it on your sash and you're so proud. Because you now have that merit badge that says, I completed this, right? And then you move on and you do something else and you forget about that because you didn't really do much of anything. But you completed that task. Christianity is not a task, right? It's not something that we're converted and then we don't have to worry about a continuing renewal of our minds, which is why we're constantly studying, why we're constantly praying, why we are encouraging one another, so that we are uh, fully renewed and it's an ongoing process. It, it never stops, never ends. All right, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with their neighbor For we are members of one another. New King James says, putting away lying. So, of course, uh, lying is a sin and must be put away from the life of the Christian. And at the end of verse 25, it says, for we are all members of one another. Now, think back, uh, verse 16, where it said, from the whole body being fitted together, held together together by what every joint supplies. So think about the fact that each one of us are connected together within this congregation. If you think of it as a human body, every one of us has a role. Now, there are parts of the human body that are more attractive than others, right? I might be the big toe of the congregation. Now, if it's one of my big toes, it's best that I leave my boots on, all right? But what what is my life going to be like without those big toes? I'm not going to be able to walk very well, right? Everybody has a role to play. So if, as a Christian, my life does not reflect well, it's not just that it doesn't reflect well on, the congreg- on, on me, it does not reflect well on the congregation. If I am out doing business, and I do business all day, every day with um, all sorts of folks. If I am not representing Christ well, how does that reflect on the rest of the body here? Yeah, very very negatively, right? So, it's not just who am I, have I been renewed, but am I constantly doing what I need to do so as a member of one another here, I am representing Christianity well. All right, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Um, we talked about this verse a little bit in our Wednesday night class. Uh, interesting verses to consider. Now, the this is New American that I read from, and it says sin uh, in two places there. A better translation, in my view, is American Standard or King James, which basically says, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. So those two words are different words in the original. So it's not sin and sin. Sin and wrath, I think, represents it better. Because what it's talking about, that second word is talking about a a cherished anger or some kind of anger that I hold over for a period of time. Does anger serve us well when we allow it to remain in our lives? Absolutely. It's never a thing that is going to work out well for me in the long run. If I, if I hold to that wrath, if I'm th- what, what, so what happens to anger if we do not deal with it? It grows, it festers, it you just lays there, it's, and it's not good, right? It's never good. Um, I cannot allow myself to have anger that holds over. And that's exactly what this verse is talking about. Now. We don't have time to go into it, but just from what we read here, we know it's possible to be angry and not sin. So anger in and of itself is not necessarily wrong, but we have to handle it properly. And not letting the sun go down on that anger, dealing with that anger means that Satan is not going to have an opportunity to use that. If we're focused, if I have something that I have held against someone and I'm angry about that, that's what I am likely to be focusing on much of, with much of my energy, right? Um, Satan is very happy if I have anger that I'm holding on to in my life because that gives him opportunity to work away at my character, right? I have have left that opportunity open for him. So, no cherished anger. James 1, uh, 19, which we know very well, 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This has a little different twist on it, but it goes along really well with, with what we are discussing. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So what is that? What is that saying? Simply? I think what it's saying is rather than, being quick to think about something and move forward with anger or with what I am thinking about it, if I listen, if I am a good listener, I can get the full story. How many times do you have something where you hear something and initially in your mind you react to it without knowing the whole story? Right? There's usually much more to something than what we have and what we know initially. If we think, if we're slow to speak and slow to anger, then we have control over our senses and control over our emotions. and we are not nearly as likely to allow that to enter into sin. So back to, unless there's a comment, back to Ephesians 4:26 uh, and 27. Um, we choose and think about this. You know, I've known people that said, "Oh, my dad had a terrible temper," which what they were saying in that was, "I learned a terrible temper from my dad." So then somehow it's okay that I have that terrible temper because my dad had that terrible temper, right? Do the scriptures represent that that I am accountable for my own actions? Uh, They do. They absolutely do. And so I am choosing, and think about that, when you're angry, I am choosing to be angry. I have chosen to allow the things... To move that direction, so that I am then angry. But I've got to remember, unless it is righteous anger, that I am likely to give Satan an opportunity through that anger. All right, verse 28. Hunger, but rather he must labor. Performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Now, we don't know, you know, in some of the letters that we have in the New Testament, it's revealed to us what kind of information they got, like First Corinthians letter. Uh, it's revealed to us in several places what he knew— And so what it is that he's reacting to, right? With the Ephesian letter, we really don't know. We really don't have information that tells us, okay, here's what was going on. Here's why Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching this, right? So in the case of this, he who steals must steal no longer. We don't know if some of the brethren, you know, some of these... uh, Gentile brethren that are now Christians used to make their living as thieves. Uh, We don't know if there's a problem within the congregation of some of that carrying over. But either way, the message is the same. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. When it comes to uh, being a thief, and there's many ways, you know, there's a physical thief, someone who walks into the store like what they're allowing some places now and just loads a bag up of stuff and walks out, right? That's a thief. But someone who cheats on his taxes, is that a thief? It is. Absolutely. Uh, What they call white-collar crime, right? Right. Things that you're not going to see on the news, typically. But anything where you are taking something that doesn't belong to you is stealing. My job is to labor, do whatever work God has given me to do. And one of the reasons uh, beyond, you know, supplying for my family is so that you have money to help someone else, money or things to help someone else out. Have something to share with one who has need. And there, as we know, there's constant need. So we must be well-prepared for that. All right, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word... As is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. King James says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So this unwholesome word, or corrupt communication, is literally anything that is bad language, cruel, uh, crude language, foul Worthless or evil speech. We're to replace those words with good, wholesome communication. Things that are encouraging to edify one another. Now, all the things that we see in the scriptures about our speech... There are, there are many things that are sinful that I don't have trouble staying away from. Because unless I choose to expose myself to them, they're not something that I have to deal with in my life. I speak all day long. You speak all day long, right? So our speech is one of those things that we have to constantly guard constantly. And that's part, you know, that's part of our character, certainly. Uh, and so our speech should be something that as we mature as Christians is better controlled when we're 50 than when we're 20, right? But do, are we ever in a situation where we do not have to guard our speech? I would agree with absolutely not. Yes. Can we get a mic over here, please? Raise your hand. There we go.
1: Thank you. Our speech comes from our heart. So I think we have to guard our heart more than just our speech. Because if it's not in our heart, it's not going to come out of our mouth. So if we're guarding our heart, our speech will be fine. Um, Back to what you said while I go about the anger uh, in James. My version says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I also think there are other ways of stealing than what we think of stealing items or taxes. The examples you gave, I think we can steal emotionally. And spiritually, from someone, because if we act a certain way, we can steal possibly, say, maybe an unbeliever, uh, we can steal that from them and not showing them the way, the right way of following God. So we can steal spiritually from them. And not behaving or not showing them examples or teaching them. We can steal that from them. And emotionally breaking others down is also a way of stealing from others. So I think, and it kind of goes into these verses we're reading, it's not just material stealing, but I do think there's emotional and spiritual stealing that we can do.
0: I hadn't considered that. Good, good comment. Thank you. Um So with guarding this corrupt communication even as as a Christian of 41 years I have to guard my speech at all times every day. And I agree completely with what you said, my speech comes from my heart. But it's very easy to and when I say guard my speech, I I don't have I don't have an issue with cursing or foul language or anything that e- that would even come close. But There are things that that can come out of your mouth if you're not thinking, if your mind is not engaged at all times, there may be something, just as you pointed out, that could be a discouragement to a non-Christian. I could somehow misrepresent, so I've got to be making sure that everything I speak is wholesome, well thought out, and prepared for that moment right fulfill the need of the moment so that we'll give grace to those who hear that's my responsibility Matthew 12:36 says but I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an account for in the day of judgment that's a rather sobering verse Every careless word that people speak, they shall give a c- account of in the day of judgment. And that was Christ speaking. All right, so let's move on to verse 30. Unless there's, oh, got one more comment back there. Thank you. Thanks, David.
1: Um, it's not only referring to bad words, but also if you gossip and you start, um, talking bad about another Christian or another person that will run people away from the church quicker than you count to 10 and they'll, they'll look at you and they'll say, I can go back there because those people are are wicked and I've, I've heard it and, um, you got to be very, very careful about that because some people say, oh, this just means bad words. Well, no. It also means backbiting.
0: Yeah, there's, the, there's so much when it comes to speech that we have to think about and consider and control. Thank you. That's, you're absolutely right. All right. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Is it possible to grieve the Holy Spirit? We're told not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, absolutely. I mean, that's not uh, that's not something that we may necessarily think about very much. But that would be the one of the last things I would ever want to do is grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it says, "By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Um, each Christian, if you think about it, we do not carry a physical uh, seal. You know, there's nothing in the middle of your forehead. But we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we have to think about the fact that we do carry that seal with us in our daily lives and in everything that we do. All right, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so this goes along with what we've been talking about here with uh, speech. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice as much time as the scriptures spend talking about these kinds of sin and do you think of bitterness and wrath those are not the kinds of sins that we put with murder. And adultery, right? In our minds. But are they any different? Is any sin different? Is any one sin any less significant or more significant than another? David, can you?
2: Among all the plethora of sins that we could commit, the immediate. consequences can vary but they all have the same consequence which is separating us from the lord so while the world and oftentimes ourselves we we get this concept of some sins are worse than others because maybe the immediate earthly consequences or results are different some people refer some lies as a white lie oh it's harmless but as far as our relationship with the Lord they all have the same result. Would they separate us from him?
0: That's absolutely right. Yes. Thank you. Um, For us as Christians, every sin that we have is significant. And it does not matter how the world might look at that. And in the society that we're living in and the way that it's changing, things are very different than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago, as far as what society looks at and sees as and would and would kind of say, well, yeah, that's not good, right? Go ahead.
2: As we're on this, uh, thinking about the men's meeting that we had recently that John did such a great job on, um, as we renew ourselves, we may get past taking the Lord's name in vain or being prideful boastful arrogant you know as christian hey look at me you you people in the world you're lost i'm not type situation we might get past lying and those types of sins but if we're still grumbling and complaining and i'm looking at myself if we're still grumbling and complaining about the challenges that are before us as christians then we still have that challenge of uh, issue in our heart, and we we still need to grow, and we can, need to continue to renew and try to get beyond that.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, and, and <laughs> that's why Christianity is, is a constant—we uh, we work to study, we work to grow, we work to encourage, we work to be encouraged, and it's a constant— uh, effort of of love for God that will never end as long as we've got our minds and can and can do so.
3: Oh. Uh, very true that you know no sins are are greater than others. It is interesting that Paul here says that the bitterness with other members of the body and anger and slandering each other those are the ones that grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, these are the ones that don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us, here's how you would grieve him, by treating other members of the body in that way. And that's, I'll use your term, sobering. And even more so to think, we're going to have far more opportunities to potentially fall into these traps than some of those other really scary things as far as murdering someone Ideally, that's not something that comes up every day for us. These might come up every day for a series of days in a row, and we're going to have to face that. And that our relationships with each other, I mean, this whole section, is how we treat each other differently, and we build each other up. And anything that doesn't do that has potential to grieve the Holy Spirit, who has given the promise of the Holy Spirit to all those that God has called to him, And if we don't recognize that in each other in the body, then that's a big problem.
0: Yeah, very good. Thank you. Yeah, Satan is never happier than when we have unrest among ourselves because it gives him huge opportunity.
2: In James, excuse me, James chapter 2, in the context of talking about partiality, he says, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. So you can't pick out one and say, well, that's my weakness. I'll just keep doing that as long as I'm, everything else is okay. Don't work like that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Very good. All right, let's move into chapter five. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to stop right there because we probably won't get further than that. So let's uh, let's work from there. So. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we just saw in the end of chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So we have example of... God's forgiveness of us through Christ, and now Paul writes to imitate God in our forgiveness and love of one another. There are a number of places throughout the Ephesian letter where we are told to pattern ourselves, pattern our lives after Christ. Well, can we ever be as good as Christ or as accurate as Christ in any part of our lives. That's right. That gives us a goal we can never reach, but, but we happily work to attain. I mean, when we get toward the end of chapter 5, uh, we see the example in marriage of how the husband is to treat the wife as, and to love her as Christ loved the church. I can never reach that, but I can strive for it as my goal for my entire life. But there are a number of places here where that's the kind of thing that we are to pattern ourselves after. Be imitators of God. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What's that making reference to? That fragrant aroma? Okay. Sacrifices, Sacrifices that's exactly right, yes. Uh, that's what that makes reference to. And think about the fact that When we are walking in love and we are serving God properly, that that is a fragrant aroma to him. That's that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Verses 3 through 5, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. No filthiness, no silly talk. Um, King James says neither filthiness nor foolish talking. So, you know, we, this goes along with what we have talked about already but this category kind of drills down somewhat beyond what we have looked at and when we look at no filthiness silly talk coarse jesting we have to we have to be able to identify that to even think about okay what is it saying i'm not to do or not to participate in. So filthiness and foolish talk would include any speech that is shameful or maybe not openly filthy, if you will, but suggestive. I'm sure most of us have been around Uh, especially those of us that are out working in the world, have been around people who may not come right out and tell a dirty joke or may not come right out and say something that would be easily recognizable as improper, but their speech is suggestive. They're trying to suggest something to you without actually saying it. Any of that kind of speech is speech that cannot be a part of our lives as Christians, as children of God. Course jesting. Now I don't think there's plenty of us that joke around. I don't this isn't talking about just joking around, but rather again, something that is a little crude in its nature. Uh, course in its nature, we represent God in every conversation that we have, in the way we treat one another, in the way we treat uh, those around us out in the public, and we cannot participate in this kind of speech. Any comments before we wrap up for this week? All right. We'll stop right there. We'll pick up there in two weeks. Thank you for your participation. (laughs)